What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am joined tonight by Anthony and Michael. Lori couldn't join us tonight due to a conflict, but we're going to go ahead and talk about Cursed, episode two, and uh, we'll get her back for the next episode. So, Anthony, you wanted some backstory. I think we got a little bit of backstory this episode. We finally got some exposition. We did. Some some, um, flashbacks that actually meant something. Right. I mean, we got a lot of Nimue's backstory in in this episode. I think I was like, oh, Anthony's going to be so happy he asked for exposition and he got it. Yay. Got it. I got it. So (laughs) now that you've got it. How are you feeling? Because I know the first episode, you wasn't really feeling quite that much. You felt like there wasn't enough information. And so now that we, we, we're starting to get into the the meat of the story, how are you feeling well, now? Well, this, this episode was much, much better. Um, it was well written. It was well paced. Um, you, I got some exposition. It didn't seem choppy like the first episode. It didn't seem so, like a pilot. Right, and, mm-hmm. and now I realize after watching this one, the first episode was definitely a pilot. It mm-hmm. was definitely something they just put together and said, "This is our concept for the show." Right, the pitch episode. Right, this episode was much more polished. It was um, the acting was a lot more consistent. The storyline was a lot more consistent. Um, it was well paced. We got a little bit of everyone in the episode we got some exposition you know setting up some things for the future so yeah i was um yeah i was i was impressed it's much much better than that first episode what about you mike how do you feel i like i yeah there's definitely definitely more of a more to see where things were um i'm kind of i when i when we filmed the first one and Anthony said that Merlin was more like, more like Captain Jack Sparrow. There was a lot of that in this episode, and I was kind of like, okay, I see, I, I see what he's saying now. Like, you know, Merlin, for all things that Merlin has been in most TV shows and films of this genre, he's, I don't think he's ever been like a drunk, like, like a stumbling kind of bumbling kind of. Still smart, but kind of bumbling. So I, I was like, okay, I actually see the problem that he had with it now. I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I this is this is the, I think this is the episode that I'm that I looked at Arthur and I was like, you son of a mother. I I I was hot. I, I, I was I think I think I, I was mad at Arthur until like the fifth episode after after this episode <laughs> because it's like I'm like, come on, bro. Uh, so, but it kind of made me wonder about how Excalibur affects people, like when they touch it. Like, does it give them? Does, does do they feel the power? And it's like it's kind of like the ring in Lord of the Rings, where mm-hmm. it, where you kind of get where you like, oh my god, that feels great. I want to feel this all the time. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. and that's what I'm, I was kind of want. That's what I'm like because I, I don't. I never really thought about Excalibur like that. Like, I just thought it was like, okay, it's the sword that helps him rule over Camelot. I didn't think that it would be something that gave that gave people that kind of, um, that, that, that affected their mind that way. Well, if, if they're approaching it like the ring and Lord of the Rings, 
the ring in the book, it actually magnifies who you are. Like it, it pulls out all your qualities, whether they be good or bad, and sort of twists them. And if the sword is similar, it could be something that pulls out what a person really is on the inside, like amplifies who they are. Or what they really desire, because I think he really desires, because he was, he, was, he was getting ready to take it to try to become a knight, so I think that's what, that's what, his, that's what his heart's desire is, mm-hmm. so it probably really amplified that, and he was like, I have to have this, I, I really like Nimway, but, you know, this is going to help me, help, this is the end to my meat. See, I looked at it a little bit different. I, I, I felt like the sword in and of itself seems to be like this massive, huge thing. And it has a presence, a presence about it, which is something that Arthur says. You know, he says that this is a sword that will get you noticed. I don't really feel like it has any kind of sway with him. You know, as far as it, him being drawn to it because of magical um, reasons. Now with Nimue, that's a little bit different because we notice that every time she touches touches the sword or every time she has intent with the sword, we notice that it glows. It And you can kind of hear the whispering. It, it's, it's almost as if the sword is speaking to her. So I think it probably has more purpose in that sense towards her. And I think for Arthur, he's just looking at it as it's a sword that has presence. It's a sword that'll get him noticed. And, you know, we talked about the fact that right now he is pretty much a mercenary. He's not a knight. He's not the king. He's not anything that we know him to be from legend. So I think this is kind of the start of that journey for him. And I think that the the sword is just a means to an end for him. You know, when he takes it at the end, he says that he's going to fulfill a dying wish but he doesn't necessarily say whose dying wish he's fulfilling so i don't think the sword has any pull for him magically i think it's just this is the way that i'm going to achieve what i want you know i don't i don't think it's it's pulling him magically i don't understand but i still think that the way that he wielded it is different than the way that he wielded his own sword when they were when they were practiced sparring in the first episode. I think that he wielded it way he wielded it differently when he first held it than when he had his own sword. So I, I think would, there's something there. I would venture to say that's probably because of the difference in filming from probably the the pilot <laughs> episode, the pitch episode. And the oh, second so now, episode. So now you're on that, okay? No, I, but I mean, really, that, like, like well, Anthony it's, said, it's true because it's, that happened in um, what was the show Iron Fist? Like, he, he only had like a couple of weeks before the show to learn how to fight. So maybe the actor got a little bit more training in right. wielding a, and holding a sword. That's that's how I looked at it. Um, you know, especially thinking that, like you said, the the two episodes. They're about the same show. They have the same actors, the same people. But the second episode was so much more polished. It was more, it it flowed more cohesively. It was, it felt like an actual show with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And a, you know, a very good flow throughout the episode where the first episode was just kind of all over the place. So I, I would just attribute that to just 
you know, him having more training, like, okay, if you're going to be Arthur, you have to look the part. And that means that he's got to be better. Because, I mean, yes, when he wielded that sword, he looked amazing. I was like, oh. Yeah, um, I kind of agree with Mike a little bit. It seemed like he was really feeling it. And I do think that maybe having the sword in his hand made him feel a certain type of way. And you kind of see it. And even with the... um, you know, with the sounds changing and that mystical air, like mm-hmm. you hear it when she pulls the sword, well, you also hear it when he was wielding the sword, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, yeah it, I, I just think that, I mean, it's, I just think that he, I mean, may, maybe it's because we know what he's destined to be. Maybe that's why we're looking at it the way that we're looking, the way that I'm looking at it, like, Oh my God! There's something magical in the sword that is calling him to his destiny. Yeah, y'all not being what? objective. <laughs> I can't. Okay, I, okay, we can't. The three of us cannot, and the four of us. I'm sure Lloyd is the same way. We can't be objective because we because we've seen things. We've seen movies in Arthurian, and we've seen the Arthurian legend in many genres. It's right. not new. It's not anything right. that's new. It's not original. Right. So, we, so can, we know that Arthur is eventually going to be king mm-hmm. somehow, some way. So when he picks up the sword, he's like, oh, boom, boom, boom. We're like, oh. It's kind of like, see, I hate to, I hate to bring back uh, Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that too. I know, like, he's kind of like Luke when he first got the, um, got, got the lightsaber, when Obi-Wan first gave Luke the lightsaber in episode four. Yep. It's like, he was like, oh, boom, boom. Oh, that's nice. I yeah. like that. So it's like, so I mean, there's a lot of. I'm, I'm not 100 percent positive, but but I'm thinking that some that Star Wars does have some Arthurian themes involved in it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it does. Yeah. George yeah. Lucas says that he. he t- oh, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. So it's like I mean, cause you, you're, but in but in that scene you could see it and you could almost hear the lightsaber cutting through the air when he was. Testing out the blade, you could almost you you could basically hear the boom 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 boom, and it and you you were like okay see this is where it's but then it takes it takes I think him stealing the sword is kind of a weird turn in this because it's like people think of King Arthur they think of someone noble and someone who who you know does things for the good but he mm-hmm. stole the sword and yeah. dropped her off somewhere dropped her off in a nunnery and was like all right I'm out. I mean, that's not really noble. That's just that's just him. That's him thinking about himself and trying to get himself where he's supposed to be. That's not really okay. She's good. Maybe I'll take her with me. Like this lady's helped me get the sword. This is why. This is so that I can be where I need to be. He was like, "Fuck it, I'm taking the sword and drop her off." All right, just take care of her. I'm out. And boom, he's gone. Really, I, I looked at it a different way because he he told he told the the girl I'm assuming that's his sister because they were the same complexion. And wow, that, that's, wow, that's really I know, I know, it really is. But <laughs> but she seemed a lot more concerned with him, and she also seemed like she's maybe a little bit younger than him. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was thinking that that was a, a convent. Um, then it kind of looked like a church, but it also looked like a, a mansion or a house. So it, it looked like a whole bunch of things. So I just like, okay, well, this is a place where he feels safe and comfortable leaving her there. So this is family. So it's probably his sister. 
And if that's his sister or half sister, then that's probably going to be Morgana. And we know everyone knows how that story's going to go. <laughs> She's not going to be good puzzle, the whole time. Yeah. Huh? Puzzle people. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, we don't know that. Like I said, I'm not binge watching it. I'm taking it one episode at a time. But like you said, it is kind of unfair to us as viewers knowing the story. So they can kind of play on that with us too. They change some things. They, they can tell it in a, a different way, but still get to the same place. But I didn't take it as him stealing the sword. I mean, he stole it because he didn't tell her. He's but borrowing. He actually, yeah, I think he actually meant it when he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for her to kind of keep her out of harm's way. Yeah, and that, that's what it, it, it would be easier for him to do it when they're looking for her, you know, and he could just go find Merlin and give him the sword and be done with it. That's true. That does seem like a more noble um, approach to it than just thinking, oh, Arthur just stole the sword, you know. But I mean, it does, but... I mean, he, he, he I, says, I, I'm going to keep a dying, a dying witch. We don't know who's dying witch, but uh, I would like to assume he's talking about Nimue's mother, that he's going to do this for her so she doesn't have to do it. Because he could have taken the sword from her anytime, you know, when she went to sleep for an hour. He could have taken the sword then. But he went out of his way to take her somewhere where he felt she would be safe. That's true. That's true. So let's start with Nimue. Um, we got a lot of information about her backstory, almost I mean, literally from the beginning of the episode. So as a child, um, it appears that Nimue is lured from her home by what they call a dark god and is attacked and during this encounter, her mother kind of speaks to her telepathically and tells her to call out to the hidden for them to protect her. And it is at this moment that we first see a glimpse of Nimue's powers while she's facing down the dark god who is in the form of a bear. Um, and it's basically hungry. It tells her it's trying to eat her. He's hungry. And... She faces him down and she grabs into the dirt and we see the vines appear on her face and then the ground and the cave that she's in starts to shift and it brings a boulder down on the bear's head, um, killing it. And then in later flashbacks, we see her mother rushing her back to the temple in the village and they're surrounded by all the elders, including Nimue's father. And this is the first glimpse we see of her father. And they're all basically condemning this child they're like no she's too young she's not gonna make it and her mother saying help you know help her help her she's gonna make it she's strong and this is the first point where we see her being ostracized by the high council um basically because she has been called by a dark god and attacked and she's got these claw marks on her back now and the claw marks glow similarly to the way that the sword glows um in her present and you know that kind of got me wondering this is the second time i've seen the episode so of course now i get to look at it with you know already knowing what happened in the episode i can kind of pay more attention to other details but i'm wondering why did the dark god single nimue out specifically like it could have called any child from the village but it specifically focused on Nimue, like it used the I, voice of her best friend to kind of lure her out of the house. Her power, because I think she's very powerful, and I think 
the dark god when he said he was hungry, he wasn't hungry for food. I think he was hungry for her magic. Mm. That's yeah, a good so point. Think, because in, in most lore, dark and evil forces can sense power, mm-hmm. whether it be good or evil. They can sense it from, even if the person doesn't know that they have that power, they can still sense that that person has power. Mm. So they can either either try to take it from them or they can try to convince the person to go over to to think to go over to their side. So I mean it's just it's the it's, it's kind of a trope that goes along with a lot of things. I mean Star Wars of course with Anakin. Um it's just like I mean it just goes back to the old thing that absolute power corrupts absolutely it's like if someone senses someone's powerful but they sense someone who could be more powerful than them, they're either going to try to get them to join them or they're going to destroy them. So it's they can so so it seems like evil can sense a threat and just and try to figure out and then it'll try to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, or it could it it just needs to feed on magic. That's you know, it. That and and that's what I was taking away from it that the dark gods, um, it, it just seemed because it seems like they're using a soft magic system that doesn't have a lot of um, rules. Mm-hmm. And part of that has to do with, you know, you can do sacrifice for your magic, and the magic has a cost. And it seems here that whatever the dark gods are doing, they need a constant supply of magic. And I know we're going to talk about it later, but the cost to Merlin for creating the sword was all of his magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and that that is one of those things that is a common thread in fantasy. Um, literature. Right. So that means that Nimue must have had great power even as a child because I mean if you just look at it on the surface, okay if the dark gods sensed magic sensed power and wanted to call that power to them why not take the high priestess? Why not take the leader of the village? You know. That's what I was saying that that she has great power in her and I think even her mother says that in the first episode. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't very clear, but that's why she was chosen by the hidden to be their, their next summoner, because yeah. she's very powerful. Yeah. She's gonna, she's gonna be very powerful and she just doesn't realize it yet. Yeah. She has more power than she realizes. It's kind of, I mean. And I think uh, she's starting to realize that now because as, as we're getting this part of the backstory, it's running parallel to what's happening in her present. And she's fleeing with the sword. Um, of course, their village was attacked by the Red Paladins. And she's fleeing with the sword. She goes into the, I'm not sure what they call that little area, but it's its basically an area that's kind of hidden from everything else. And that's where Squirrel, the little boy that is her friend, is hiding in this area. And one of the red paladins is there and he sees her and she, you know, she runs and he catches her and there's a struggle. He's basically trying to kill her and she's flashing back to her childhood, to different um, instances in her childhood after this dark god attack. You know, there was an instance where her mother is singing to her and there's an instance where, you know, she's she's run away. She's flashing back to all of these different things while she's being attacked and all of a sudden we see the vines appear and when she comes to she sees something in the distance that kind of 
you know, it startles her and it scares her to the point where she has to run off and, you know, she has to throw up because what she sees scares her so bad. And basically we find out, you know, a few scenes later that the red paladin that she has been attacked by has been um, completely entrenched in these branches. Like the branches have grown into a tree and this red paladin is in the middle of it. Like he's got... He's got roots going all around his body. He's got some going through his body. And it's just basically making him a part of this tree. And I think at this point, Nimue really starts to realize how strong her power is and how forceful it is, especially when she's being attacked. Because that, those are the times that we see her magic is exponential. Like, those are the times when she can't seem to control what happens with the vines and we notice uh throughout other scenes in the episode anytime that she is touching the earth anytime she is touching nature and she's afraid or she feels threatened that's when her magic is at its greatest and yeah. it's kind of like whoo you know this also explains too though why she was unable to save her mother because one she wasn't being directly attacked. It was her mother. And I think that growth of power comes from being directly attacked. And then the other thing was the cave that they were in or the temple that they were in was mostly made of stone. And so I think if she if she has to depend on the earth in order to, you know, have the branches come and attack whatever's attacking her, then I don't think she really had much to draw on down there in that place. That's just yeah. my opinion. Yeah, she kind. She kind of. Yeah, she's kind of. She's kind of like she's dependent on having something natural around her to tap into her power, which is kind. Of, which is ironically kind of like Starlight dependent on a power source to actually have her power. So it's. I mean, it's it's slightly inconvenient, but it's. But I mean, if she's going around somewhere, it's just going to be dirt. So I mean, she can figure something out. But. Um, it, it, it's a little strange to 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 see it that way because, um, like Lori said the last time we talked about it, they seem to be setting them up more like druids. Mm -hmm. And if that place is important, like that's where they kept the sword, usually that will be a place where there's power mm -hmm. already. So it, it's just a little weird that she wouldn't be able to do anything in the cave. Um, but then again, I was watching it and I realized you're right. Every time that she used her power, she was the one being threatened. Like directly Not threatened. So. When it seems like she's under duress or when she's being attacked or when she needs to protect herself, then that's when, you know, her powers manifest a lot more mm -hmm. than they do if someone else is under duress. Right. Like and, it's like a hidden protecting her. Yeah. I, yeah. I was kind of leaning towards that. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's why her mother told her to speak to them. Mm -hmm. So the hidden are actively, you know, coming to her aid or she's calling them to her aid, but they're not doing it for anyone else around her. Yeah. And, you know, I feel so bad because we we see several flashbacks um, from her childhood and her early teen years where she has had to use that to defend herself. And it's, you know, we saw it in the first episode with the bullies, you know, calling her witch and hag and 
basically attacking her. But there's another instance that we see a flashback of where there's a guy from her village and apparently it's a guy that she has a crush on. He's invited her to, you know, for a walk and they're in the woods and she, you know, she makes mention that he's promised to someone else. And he was like, but I was looking at you and he goes to caress her like he's about to kiss her. And then he grabs her suddenly. He calls her witch. And then there's another guy and a girl who is the guy's intended. Um, and they basically, they they hold her down up against the tree. And they rip the back of her dress off because they want to see the scars that the dark god left on her. And at this moment, they're, they're like really, like, Nimue is very scared because she's being attacked. She's She's being made to bear a part of herself that obviously she doesn't want to do. I mean, who wants to show that kind of you know, that kind of injury and then to have it forcefully done, of course, that's got to be frightening. And then literally, again, she's being directly attacked. She starts to have the vines grow on her face and then roots and vines from a tree grab the girl and almost suck her into the ground, you know? And I'm like, you guys keep calling her a witch and a hag. Why the fuck do you keep bothering her? Like, Obviously, y'all are scared of her for a reason. If you think she's been touched by a dark god, that would be the last person I would want to mess with. That, that was my thought. We, we've talked about it before, how people don't realize that you don't mess with people who are like that because they do eventually will lash out. And they can become bad. So you should do it the other way. Be their friend. Get to know them. Try to be nice to them. Don't, you know, don't be a dick. Just right. be nice. Or, or even even on that note, it's like, if you see that the adults in your village are even wary of her, why are you as a child messing with her? The adults won't even look at her. Like, they won't even give her eye contact. They won't look at her. And every time that they talk about her, it's in a negative tone. Like, we, we see another flashback where she was 12 and she ran away from the village and she was gone for a few days. And... You know, her mother tries to say, you you give them things to talk about. And she was like, you don't know what this is like. You know, they don't want to be my friends, not yours. They're scared of me, not you. They don't want me here, not you. And it's kind of like, from a, imagine having to navigate this throughout your whole childhood. Because she looked to be about five or six when the attack happened. So imagine being that young and having to live in this village where it's obvious no one wants you, no one trusts you, everyone is scared of you. And then on top of all of that, people are deliberately setting out to bully you and to make you feel as if you don't belong. Like who, who in their right mind would think that's the person I want to go bully today. That's the person I want to lure into the woods and like tear their clothes off so I can see what the dark guys did. Obviously, these kids are stupid, but well, I mean, well, also, I mean, it it is dumb kids, but it's dumb kid curiosity. I mean, because they've heard all the stories about okay, don't go near Nimue. She's there's something bad about her. She's evil. She's a witch. Just leave her alone. Da da da. And they're like, really? Just just think just think to the old the old adage where a child is told not to touch the iron is hot, so they touch the iron anyway and they get burned. And this is not to do it again. Exactly. It's like people are stupid. 
and children are even more stupid because they're learning because they're learning and it's like kids are inherently inherently they pick up things from their surroundings like if, if you just for example when I was when I was growing up, I grew up during the Atlanta Child Murders, and I looked like Wayne and, and I resembled Wayne Williams. And kids would see me and be like, "Oh my God, Wayne Williams, Wayne Williams!" and tease me. But it's like it's, they were just trying to be funny and impress everybody. But it's like you know, and, and that kind of hurt. But it's like it's not like it's not like they were trying. They were really being mean because most of the people that call me that were were were, were end up being really good friends of mine. So it's like kids will kids will do mean things just to find they find something out, but then they'll realize that oh damn, I probably should have done that, or they'll learn by getting almost sucked into a tree into a tree root. Right. So it's like kids. I mean, kids learn. Kids learn about kids learn that you know you can't just say whatever you want to, or you just can't do anything you want to just because you want to. You have there are consequences and repercussions to things that you do. So the girl found that out the hard way by almost becoming becoming Carter Bart. Right. Okay. Well, since, since we we're, we're talking about about how they're treating her, the um, I know we're only on episode two. We don't have a lot of the, the show. I'm 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 starting to be confused about the fae. I mean, are are they fae? Are they human? Are they hybrid? Because we've seen an actual. Wing, was it a wing fairy? Mm-hmm. Moon, silver, moon wing? Moon wing. Moon wing. But it, it's like, okay, if y'all are fae, do not all the fae have at least a little bit of magic in them? Well... I mean, it, it just, I don't know. It, I, I need a little bit more information because if they're being singled out for being fae, well, what kind of fae are they needing to be singled out? Are we actually dealing with fairy people, or are they just, or, or we just have to assume that they're just being mistreated because they're different? Well, from what we know so far, we know that Nimue is of the <laughs> Sky Fae tribe. That's what they're called, and then we've seen the Moon Wings. There are some other tribes of Fae um, that we will be introduced to later on in the series. But basically, what it is is. Um, there are some of the fae that can pass as human. Like, they don't have the pointed ears, they don't have wings, they don't have horns. So they look pretty much like Nimue. So Nimue can go into another village, and unless she tells where she's from, they wouldn't know that she's fae. That's one of the reasons why, um, in the episode when she's escaping and she gets on the, the dentist's cart, and they ask her where she's from, she tells them that she's from a different town because that town is all human. So she can pass for human and they do have some other fae that can pass for human. I, th- I think Pim, if I'm not mistaken, her best friend, I think Pim has a little bit of the pointy ears, but not so noticeable because she wears her hair long. Um, and then, you know, you see Squirrel has the pointy ears and some of the other fae that we saw later on in the episode you know they have distinctly fae features but they're all from the same village so but i i don't know what i don't know what it is that causes some of them to look more human than others 
Well, probably interbreeding is probably what, what happened. But I don't know. I, I think at this point, hopefully going forward, I get a little bit more. Um, I know their budget is probably not going to call for a lot of different makeup like that. But I think they should try a little bit better at, at showing us the differences. Yeah. Um, because I, I I watched the episode twice and I didn't pick up on any of the the physical features of some of those people. Like I didn't even notice that um, Squirrel's ears were a little pointed. I think they are, and and yeah. something about I his eye color. The, the, the hair is all braided the same. I, that's yeah. the one thing I noticed because her father's hair was braided the same way her hair is braided. And I noticed, oh, mom's hair is braided like that too. And I started looking at all the other women. Mm-hmm. And man, all their hair is braided very similar. So okay, well, I guess that's how I'm supposed to know their fake. <laughs> yeah, and then I think also with some of them, it has something to do with the eyes, um, because later on in the episode, we run into the we run into the gray monk again with Father Father Cardin. They come across the area where Nimue slayed the wolves, and the gray monk is very. Uh, observant and he notices that the footprints are that of a young woman and they see the damage done and Father Cardin immediately says this is no ordinary sword meaning that one fey girl couldn't have made all this damage with just a regular sword so she's already on their radar and then later on they come across the um, the red paladin that's encased in the tree and the gray monk goes to search for her and he goes into the area where squirrel is hiding and he says the beginning of their little oath which is uh to be born in to be born in the dust uh, to be born in the dawn and then squirrel finishes it and says to die in the twilight and he comes out and realizes it's the gray monk and the gray monk captures him and um i have to mention this so the whole time that the gray monk is taking Squirrel to wherever he's taking him, Squirrel is mouthy. He is going <laughs> off. He yeah. is calling him names. He is giving him insults. And I'm telling you now, that little kid is my favorite character in this whole show. Like, from start to finish, that kid has heart. He has a mouth. He is like, I don't care that I'm little. You're not going to bully me. You're not going to... I mean, literally, like, he was giving all he yeah. could. He was funny. He was like, you know, your horse is ugly. You're, you're kind of ugly, too. As a matter of fact, you guys look just alike. Right. He was like, and I like okay. horses. He was like, and I like horses, but... <laughs> Yeah, he, he was giving him the business. He was, was like, giving yeah, it to him, and I, I was here for it. Business, so they're kind of good. Yeah. Well, well, I think also I, I was thinking that he was doing that because he was trying to warn anyone who was around. Yeah, and it, it, it did help him. It, it helped him because, um, you know, some of the Fae came to his rescue that night, and something that struck me that I didn't notice the first time I watched the um, episode was one of the Fay brothers says, look at his eyes. And then another one says, shed a few tears for us, brother. And I was like, oh, is he implying that the gray monk is Fay? Like, wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't either. And I, then I, I, I thought he was talking about the, um, the makeup that he has, the 
the crying makeup. See, I don't see. That's the thing. I don't know if it if that was what he was implying, or if he was implying about his eyes. Because if you think about it, we really don't see much of the gray monk's face. Like they do focus on the the tear. I don't know if that's a tattoo, if it's paint, or whatever it is. But he he does look kind of dark with the hood on, and I just don't know if that's another feature that's supposed to distinguish Faye from human. You know, but I thought it was kind of interesting that he said it in that way because he said it in a very pointed way. He was like, shed a few tears for us, brother. And I was like, oh. Yeah, that, that combined with knowing the little saying is like, huh. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, okay, yeah. So, 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 so it, kind of, it kind of leads to that when you when you think about it like that. Yeah. Plus, I mean, plus his, his fighting, I mean, he, I mean, he kind of fights, his fighting style Okay, I don't know anything about fake fight, like fake fighting style, but see, and then I, I found myself confusing fake with elves because I started thinking about Legolas. I'm like, wait, Legolas was elf. That's not the same thing. Yeah. I guess so. I get my I get my fantasy creatures mixed up. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. See, now you should have told that to me, Hanako, because now I have a crazy theory. Yeah, I know who the Grim Monkey is. I have another thing that might give you a clue on that too but I don't know if you want it Did okay, you? well I know in some stories in, in some stories Nimue raised Lancelot mm-hmm. so if he knows Faye stuff or is part Faye or is Faye then that would have to be Lancelot because if it's going to be about redemption um, about his redemption, then that would be ideal for. I don't know. I'm going back to what I said about they're going to introduce us to different um, knights of the round table as we go through this right. season. Right. And he seems like a prime candidate for someone who, in all the stories, Lancelot is not necessarily a great guy. Right. But, right. you know, he, he in some particular stories, that's the case. And then we raised Lancelot. And Lancelot has been known in different stories to have betrayed um, um, Arthur, Arthur oh, for yeah. various reasons. So he seemed like a prime candidate for someone like that. Because ultimately, he let Squirrel go because Squirrel is a child. So I guess he does have a line that he won't cross. Well. <laughs> I mean, he said he sent him off with a message like, you right. know, "Tell your brothers I'm coming for him." Yeah. But honestly, he really didn't have to do that. He's coming for him anyway. And yeah. They know he's coming. Here's the other so, thing. So when when they were threatening um, the gray monk, you know, they were threatening to stick a hot poker up his horse's butt and let him, <laughs> you know, and, and let him drag him. He specifically speaks to the horse. And he says, mm-hmm. settle down, Goliath. And I'm like, why would like why do we need to know the horse's name? So I looked it up and Goliath is actually um a reference to Lancelot in some um in some reference uh excuse me, in some lore because they say that when Lancelot is described, he's described as Goliath like. See? So I was like, my- Confirming my theory. I Thank was you, like, okay. 
So, you know, it's just, I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, we, we've seen some of the other horses, like, of course, Nimue's horse is old boy, but we don't know if that's a name or if that's just what she calls him. But he very pointedly looked at the horse and said, settle down, Goliath. And I'm like, why do we need to know his, na his horse's name? Like I said, sometimes I feel like those little, little tidbits that we find in an episode here, episode there, are going to be a little bit more important later on. So that was just something that just kind of stuck out in my mind. And, of yeah. course, that was before he started, like, literally slaughtering, slaughtering them. The, those fae. Yeah, it's kind of like, I was, I, again, it's, it's kind of like, if you know who this person is, you know of his reputation. Like, this man is known for, like, slaughtering fae villages by himself. Why would you? I under, I understand trying to capture him. You caught him. You caught him off guard. You're trying to rescue Squirrel. You think you're gonna take him in, but I felt like they were being a little too careless. Well, they were with kids. Him. I mean, they were young. So that goes back to where Michael was talking about people being young and not really understanding the situation, like. If they were if they were older people, mm -hmm. you know, if they were older fighters, yeah, they would have killed him immediately. Yeah. They they wouldn't have waited because the guy's he's bad. Right. Um, but I do think it's interesting. I don't think he was looking for her because he specifically asked Cardin, Father Cardin, let me find her. He says, No, I need for you to kill the Fae in the woods. Right. So I I I don't, and then he turns to the other um, paladin monks and he tells them to spread the word they were looking for. So I don't, I don't, I was just gonna, I was just saying, I don't think he was looking for her. I think he was looking for more faith mm -hmm. and he was just following the tracks. And that's how he came across Squirrel. But I don't think he was looking for her specifically because if he was looking for her, she would have been easy to find. Yeah, I think yeah, so it, too. Yeah, so um, that that's that's all I want to say about about that part. Yeah, okay. I, I just. But he's Lancelot. Don't let Lancelot ruin your mind. Have y'all seen Sky High, the Disney movie about the superhero high school? Yeah. I haven't seen it in so long. I don't remember it, but you're yeah. Right, you're right. Let the weeping weeping monk reminds me of the kid that was like the. He was kind of like the rebel, the rebel in the movie, the the one that had the firepower. Mm -hmm. He kind of reminds me of him for some reason. I can't figure out why. I wonder. I mean, it's possible he could have been in that. I mean, I don't know. But um, yeah. like I said, I, that was. I, I I just. I mean, I. I'm I'm a fan of fan of putting things of puzzles in series, like putting things together as you go along. It's, I mean, maybe maybe it's me. It's my task of reading Encyclopedia Brown, like you know, like trying to find 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 the solutions to everything. By the time you get to the end, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. So it's like, I mean, should that be the case? I'm like, I'm I'm kind of all for it. I, I but I mean, I really I do I do want to give a shout out to Squirrel for being for being just cantankerous and just like a little. And, and like giving him all the business, I could just I could just see the monk just rolling his eyes like. Oh. I love that little kid. 
I love that little kid. <laughs> so let's move on to Merlin. So beginning of the episode, we see that Merlin flees from Uther's castle. He's basically, um, I guess he's going to try to figure out what these these omens mean that that he's come across. You know, he found the th the three the three faced baby. There were the three crowns in the sky, the blood rain. There's all these different omens, and obviously they mean something to him. So he goes on his own little quest. And we see him end up in the cave where Nimue's father, uh, excuse me, where Nimue's mother is lying dead, where she was attacked and where she has died. And something about the way that he handles her you know he picks her up and he places her body he closes her eyes he picks her up he places her body on the altar and then he kind of caresses her face before he holds his head you know his head down and mourns and i was like hmm a lot of tenderness yeah there's a history there clearly which makes me question yeah because i mean it's like you know, you're like, okay, she's magic, he's magic, so it's like, eh. I, I mean, mean it, could, it could be something in the past where they, where they cross paths, so yeah. And Dad was obviously not feeling Nimue at all. Right, and I mean, even as, a, a, a like, your child has been attacked, and the mom, it, first of all, the mom was the one who went to the cave to get her brought her back and she's the one that's trying to get everybody to save her and you're just standing off to the side looking at your child like she has grown three heads and <laughs> wings and it's kind of like i felt a little odd about that at first because but you know there are instances that we've heard of where things happen to children or things happen blah 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 and the parents just for whatever reason they 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 unattach themselves from the child so I just figured, okay, he thinks she's cursed. Maybe that's not something he's strong enough to deal with because we have seen that as well. But now seeing that little scene with Merlin and Lenore, the way he treated her, it was kind of like, I feel like there's something more there. And if there is, I wonder if that is why she had the sword, you know, with with the imprint being in his body and then if that's the reason why Nimue might be so powerful. You I mean know? it kinda of expl it, it explains the connection, like when when Nimue when Nimue raised the sword and he got the sword imprint on his side. So you're mm -hmm. like, okay. And then when she had her visions he, he saw them in his sleep. So obviously yeah. there's some kind of psychic connection there. He's obviously connected to the sword. If he, he put everything he had into making the sword, yeah, then that's that's a, a part of him. Yeah, and if she's a part of him, then they would be connected. Yeah, and and he does say that um, later on when he has he has a meeting with this uh, with this figure called the widow, and she's like some kind of ghostly specter. I, I'm assuming she's similar to death. Um, and they start talking about the sword, and they. Uh, the widow calls it the sword of the first kings and Merlin calls it the sword of power. And she mentions that the sword, apparently they have been told that the sword had been destroyed, which we obviously know is a lie. And she mentions that that will have great 
grave consequences for Merlin if the Shadow Lords find out that this sword is still in existence. And, you know, she asked, she said, do you remember what the words say? And he's like, remember, I'm the one that wrote them. And so we kind of get an, also an idea of how old Merlin is because he talks about the sword being forged in Fire a thousand years ago. So, or rather, that Fae Fire has been non-existent for a thousand years. So that means he's got to be well over that age. But he says, um, the words are, whosoever wields the sword of power shall be the one true king. So, you know, that kind of also makes me wonder, like, is he... Nimue has the sword and her purpose, her quest is to bring the sword to Merlin. So, does this mean at some point Merlin was supposed to be king and he just didn't want it? Well, if you, if you, when you look at how prophecies and things like that kind of work, it doesn't necessarily mean it's intended for him to wield it. Like, right. the process of her bringing the sword to him, like, look who has the sword right now, Arthur. I mean, that's how prophecies work. Yeah. Currently, he's wielding the sword. I mean, he's taking the sword to Arthur. It's, I mean, to Merlin. We and, don't know that. We well, don't know that. He said, I'm going to keep a dying promise. So I'm going to assume the best. <laughs> wielding, wielding is nine-tenths of the law. So. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so but the, the, it's the quest and the, in, in, in pursuit of fulfilling prophecies is usually about... Um, in, 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 is actually what happens when you fulfill it. Like, the journey fulfills the prophecy. Mm -hmm. Like, Arthur being a part of Nimue's life, being a part of getting the sword to Merlin, the changing that he is going to go through, the changes she's going through, Merlin's going through, trying to get to the sword. All these things are, are being put in place in order to create this path for Arthur to become who we think he's supposed to come. But the thing I wanted to, to mention is she, okay, so my first question was, if the Shadow Lords are gonna cast him out, does that mean that Merlin is a Shadow Lord? Oh, because she said, if they cast you out, you know it doesn't end there, they're gonna come hunting you down. Oh, I, know, I didn't think so, about that. So, so then we have the Shadow Lords, then we have the Hidden, and we have the dark gods. I just need to know how they're all related. So usually, the underlying struggle in fantasy, there's you know a good a light side and a dark side. So we have the hidden on one side, and we have now the dark gods on the other side. So who are the shadow lords? Oh, you know, or is it the hidden versus the shadow lords? Is Merlin the shadow lord? If Merlin is the shadow lord, then I, I I don't know. It, it, I have a lot of questions now about their lore, and I, I don't know if they thought it through or if they have a plan for this. Right. But the way she said it, it sounds like that he's actually a shadow lord. Yeah. And if he's well over a thousand years old, then that would make sense. Yeah. You get answers, then you get questions. Yeah, more the questions. Of life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think. I mean. That would that would explain how he how people think he's a magician if he had shadow or power if they could think they could just say oh you know magic and like you have no idea and he's he's 
like you have no idea of the kind of power that I actually have. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it could be. I just, I don't know. But he does <laughs> say <laughs> that the sword. Story, in some stories, he's actually half fake and half human. Um, I don't know how they're going to go along with this. I mean, I don't know how they're going to approach it in this story, but... They've only mentioned that he's Faye in this story because in the first episode when he first appears to Uther, Uther makes mention that, you know, um, they are his kind. You know, talking about when the Red Paladins are destroying the villages, you know, they are his kind and he doesn't seem concerned with what's happening to them. You know, but, you know, I kind of wonder, so Merlin says that the sword took his magic, which, you know, he confirms what the rumors have all been saying for years, that he does not have his magic. And he also mentions to the widow that reclaiming the sword must never happen. Like, he was very emphatic about that. So I'm wondering, like, is the sword a curse to him? You know, like, why is he so? Why is he so adamant that this sword not make its way back to him? And how did the sword take his magic? He could. He said the sword. Well, he says the sword is cursed. So I wonder what the, if we're gonna get the history of maybe when the sword was forged and the first kings who used it. I mean, how how did all that turn out? Yeah. You know? And maybe he's scared of getting his power back. Maybe he knows that if he gets the sword, it may corrupt him, you know, become a part of him again. And I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, I mean, that kind of power. I mean, from what from what he's saying, he has a he has a very real fear of the sword, like of the power that that might consume him mm-hmm. if he if he possessed the sword. So I mean, maybe there's something to that too. Yeah. I mean, because it's just like you know, ancient. Ancient power corrupts absolutely as well. I was also I was also thinking the Arthurian tales remind me a lot of the Canterbury tales. Like we where where it's like there's a lot of retelling of tales. So that's how that's how a lot of there there are there are really a lot of incons- inconsistencies and not really inconsistencies but differences in the way that people tell them. Like in some in some things like like Merlin, Merlin is Merlin is dating Merlin's in love with Nimue, or if some if, or someone's in love with someone else in this side. So it, it, I guess back in back when this story was conceived, there are a lot of things that are lost in trans that can be lost in translation or lost in conveying of the story. Mm-hmm. Where people say, well, this is what happened. Well, I don't know. I just I just heard 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 him over there say that. She was actually in love with him and not him, but it's it's just kind of, it's kind of like the telephone game where you whisper a secret to somebody and by the time it gets back to right back around to you, it's something completely mm-hmm. different. So I think that's kind of how Arthurian legend goes, where you where it's like you it starts as one thing, but then when you get get over here, it's something completely different. Because when I look, I actually looked it up and it's actually it's based on two or three, they're, they're saying Arthur could have been two or three different people in real life. Mm-hmm. Like, it was based on something, based on, like, a war king or, it's like, there are like two or three other, two or three people that could have been Arthur. So, I think a lot of the story, once, it, once it's conveyed, once it's written down, it kind of
kind of it kind of shifts to something else. So I mean, any, anything could be anything, really. Yeah. Well, it's the type of story that lends itself to being retold differently every time. Right. Because it's been told so many different ways. It's like it's as old as Beowulf. I know Beowulf is older, but it's the same thing. It's a story that has been told in a bunch of different ways. I mean, we've had several movies over the last two or three decades that tell the story differently than what I remember studying in high school. You know, but and and it's this is just the kind of story that lends itself to that. But sometimes there's just some elements that you just kind of. <sighs> I understand what you're saying, but it's it's it always seems like there's some elements that always stay true in any in every retelling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I actually yes, like, um like Arthur's the king, he's married to Guinevere, they live in Camelot, there's a round table with facts around it. So yeah. and so we always get there in a different right. way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I actually um you know, thinking about the first episode that we did on on episode one and, you know, us talking about the different versions of Merlin or King Arthur's story that we know and that we like. And, you know, just kind of thinking about, like you said, Mike, how the details differ in some of those stories. Because, like, in um, in the Merlin miniseries that we talked about with Sam O'Neill, Nimue and Merlin were lovers. And, you know, Arthur was, you know, a totally different, you know storyline and then you have some where like this one Arthur and Nimue seem to be the romantic interest and so I just you know I put something out on Facebook today in uh, my personal page and then on the Dragon Con page you know just asking people I'm like okay I've seen different variations of the story in TV and in movies but I don't think I've ever like I can't recall if I've ever actually read a story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table aside from like a children's book. So, you know, I kind of put the question out there. So what is the best literary version that you would suggest? And almost unanimously, the two that came back to me were The Once and Future King and Mr. Babylon, the book series. Mm -hmm. So, and people were saying, yeah, the TV show was good, but the books were better. So, all of this, you know, just discussing this show and thinking about all the other variations of the tales of King Arthur and Merlin and, you know, the Knights of the Round Table and this whole thing, it's really got me interested to go and read some of the stories to see how they differ from what's been translated onto TV and film. Like, I'm just really curious now, like, how many different versions of this story is there and which one is the best one? But everybody was like, the once a future king, the once a future king. And I was like, that sounds so familiar. And I happened to look over at my bookcase and guess what? I have a copy of sitting on my bookcase. I found it in a thrift store, like, maybe about a year ago and picked it up because the cover was interesting. I didn't even know that it was a King Arthur tale. I think I may have seen like some little blurb and I was just like, King Arthur, okay. And I didn't even check to see exactly what it was about. So I was like, okay, maybe that's that's the sign that I need to read this story, you know. 
and get a little more versed in what the literary works say. Yeah, I just, I mean, in most cases, the book is way better than than anything that. In that all like cases. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but yeah, I, I, I'd be interested to read once the King as well. Yeah. It, it means because it, there's always some, like I said, in movies they always edit something out or they take or they like they try to condense it because most books. Most books, if you make them into a movie, would end up being like four or five hours long, or mm-hmm. in three parts, like the like the um Hobbit, like the Hobbit, or like Lord of the Rings. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't put it in, put it all in one movie. You have to separate it into three, two and a half, two and a half, three hour long movies. Right. So it's like you can't really put everything in it. So it'd be interesting to see what people chop. Look what people kind of chop and edit into it, and what they what they look at it and feel like they can leave out, or what they they're like, okay, we can't do without this, but we can do without that. So I mean, it's always the case. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to briefly mention because I think we pretty much covered everything in this episode, but when Nimue, um comes back to the town, she runs and she runs into Arthur. She also runs into to the other cell swords that she kind of tricked with her powers um, in the first episode. And so the the leader of that group, Bors, basically threatens her. He, like, pushes her to the side because he's mad because she kind of cheated. And he sees the sword, and he tries to take the sword from her. And you can see that she's kind of scared. She's terrified because he's threatening her. He's kind of, you know, holding her against her will. He's making very, very salacious threats to her person and then when she goes to grab the sword the sword glows and you kind of hear those whispers again and it's almost like her personality changed like she chops off his hand and she like gets into this warrior stance and she's like come again come for me again and I'll take the other one and that kind of made me think about what you just said Michael about whether or not the sword corrupted Merlin or made you know whether or not the power of the sword kind of made him fearful of his power like I wonder if there's something about that sword and the fact that it's connected to both of them is it going to alter her personality is it kind of is it kind of like the the ring uh like you mentioned Anthony like you know with the ring when you put it on and you wear it for too long it starts affecting your personality it starts changing you into a different person I wonder if the sword is having that same effect you know, because even when, like, we know that Nimue is not a trained fighter. But when those wolves were attacking her and she had the sword, she handled that sword pretty well and was able to kill all of those wolves. And some of those wolves were as large as she was. So I'm just wondering if that kind of enhances her strength and enhances her magical gifts and her power, like how exactly does it affect and is that why Merlin is so scared of it? Yeah, and it's like, what other kind of effects would it have? Like, is it, because, you know, like some things, like things with magical powers end up being, being able to drain your life energy and things like that. So is she actually going to, is, is that is this going, going, going to affect like stamina or things like that? Because I mean, there, there's all there are all kinds of like mystical mystical items that do all kinds of different things like that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there, there, there's a lot of different possibilities. 
and minuses of it. So, it, but she hasn't really she hasn't really used it enough for us to see anything that is adversely affecting her. Yeah. You, you were going to say something? Smiling. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's just one of those things where <laughs> it, it's just another magical item. And yeah. usually magical items and stories like this just bring out the worst or the best in people. And, you know, I'm just trying to, trying to keep it simple. Brings out the innermost you. Yeah, yeah. It, it does. Like, like the the super soldier serum. You know, <laughs> did you tell uh, Steve? You told him, yeah, it works. It's just it amplifies who you are. Uh, who you already are. Yeah. And, but you know, and I think this sword might be, uh, might be that thing. It's like the ring, Lord of the Rings. It kind of amplifies who you are. Mm. You know? But you know, uh, but the, I, I did want to. I did want to mention um, Arthur's uh, Sarah Connor speech <laughs> about no fate, <laughs> but what we make for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and I, I only bring it up because it to me it seemed like he has he's trying to fight against what he is supposed to be. It right. sound, it, to me, it seems like. He's speaking from experience, you know, no one can tell us and, and none of our future, none of our futures are set in stone and we should be able to change our fate. And that's who's trying to tell her, you don't have to do this. You can, you can do whatever you want to do. And it sounded like to me that he was speaking really for himself. And after seeing that big man in house and thinking, well, maybe, maybe he is nobility or something close to it, and he just doesn't want to be that. Mm. So, once again, we we now have two reluctant heroes right. who are both on this quest together, and we both, you know, we kind of already know where they're going to end up. But I, I, I guess I'm saying all this to say is, if we excise the first episode, I'm really interested in seeing how this story goes, because I have a lot of questions. And I want to see them flesh the lore out because, you know, when the widow said, you know, this is, we're at war, who, who's warring? Right. Like, who's fighting? Right. 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 The other, you know, the, the one last thing I did want to mention. So going back to the sword and what Merlin says, he says, whoever wields the sword of power shall be the one true king. I just thought about it when... We are first introduced to Nimue in the first episode, and she's hearing the voices in the forest. She turns around, and there's a deer standing behind her, and the deer says something to her and calls her Fae Queen. So I'm like, oh, wait. Is she supposed to be a queen? Mm. Mm. You know? I just, I literally just thought about that. I was like, when, you know, I was trying, there was something about that that was like nagging in my brain. And um, going back to my notes, the, she hears the whispers in the forest. It says, save them. Death is not the end, Fae Queen. Find him. Which we, obviously now we know that find him probably means Merlin. Um, but death is not the end, Fae Queen, and save them. Like, obviously, save them, probably saving the Fae people. 
but she is referred to as Fae Queen all the way in the very first episode, like the very first scene of the first episode. And now she, well, Arthur has a sword now, but technically speaking, she's the one who's been wielding the sword. And she, she also pulled the sword out of the stone, too, because the sword was sticking stuff. She, she did. Out of the stone. I'm like, okay, guys. Hmm. Hmm. All right, y'all ready to just throw it out and just over? That 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 little nod nod to like the traditional story, right? Like yeah, she did kind of pull it out of the stone. So uh. yeah, because when it went in the stone, I said, okay, it's gonna be stuck now. Oh no, she pulls it out. Oh, I see <laughs> what you did there. Yeah, but and here's the. It, it almost almost lends to like the the preconceived the preconceived notion that you can get from the previews and the pictures that oh wait is she really going to yeah I don't think even though we we know what Arthur is supposed to become based on the lore I still don't know if I feel like I don't feel like that would be the focus of the show like maybe he's just a pit stop in the show but I, I still feel like this story is going to be Nimue's story Mm-hmm. And Arthur is right. just kind of there for the ride, so I don't know how that's going to manifest itself. But um, yeah, I that sword is going to find its way back to her, especially if it's anything like the ring. It's going to find its way back to her because that I think, if it's not supposed to be with Merlin, I believe it's supposed to be with her for whatever reason. Whether she is to become queen, whether she is supposed to help Merlin destroy it. I'm not sure, but... Or she's become the lady of the lake who holds it for until Arthur's actually ready to become king. Yeah, but see, I mean, there's other, like, the the Merlin uh, miniseries that, you know, we've referenced before. Nimue wasn't the lady of the lake in that series. You know, there was an an entirely separate character that was the lady of the lake, so maybe they'll do that with this show as well i mean we don't know but it does kind of lend itself that she will somehow become the lady in the lake because the first scene that we see in the show um or the one of the visions that nimue has is of her in water sinking because she's got an arrow in her chest so i don't know i like how that that was like a reference to like like all those those movie trailers where someone someone's like like in trouble and if the freeze frame is like yep that's me but you're wondering how i got this position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's kind of what it reminded me like okay so why are they well, starting the show with what could possibly be her death well also i wanted to say the other thought i had was that this sword is not the calendar that we know you think it's, made, you think it's a that, different sword that it's a different sword. Okay. And that Arthur is not the Arthur that we know. And but that is going to depend on a lot of other other things. But it, it's possible that this isn't the sword Excalibur, mm-hmm. and that you know Merlin has to get his power back, oh. and maybe destroying the sword, or maybe reuniting with the sword, or on um, whatever quest he's on. He gets his power back, and maybe eventually he does create his caliber. Mm. Okay. Um, I mean, no, 
I, 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 I too have a lot of questions because a sword, if I'm just gonna assume it is Excalibur, but I, I think there's a possibility that it, it is not Excalibur. You know that there's a possibility that he he's gonna get his get the sword back. He's gonna get his powers back, and then we will be on Nimue's real journey into becoming who she's supposed to be. Okay. Because right now she's tied to this sword too much, and I and I I need for them to get the sword out of the way so we can get get her to be on the path that she needs to be. If she is indeed the fake queen, then she's gonna have to do more than just take the sword back to Merlin. It's not gonna be that easy. Right. Hmm. Okay. Any final thoughts? Yeah. Um. I'm still like Father. Father Card is still. I still maintain that he's the most. He's the most dangerous person in this, in this show. <clears throat> Just because when he saw his paladin literally engulfed and turned into a dog on tree, and all all of his all the other paladins were about before it, he was like, "Get your ass up! See, this is what we're against." You see that? That's right. what we're fighting. Cut it down. He's breathing. Yeah, he like, he has no place for fear. Right, and it's like, but he, that's that's what made that's what that makes him even more dangerous because he leaves. He's telling all of his followers, like, don't be afraid of that. There's nothing to be afraid of. That's what we're fighting. Go fight it. And it's like they're like, okay, sure. It's like, yeah, you take your sword, cut him, cut cut down the mystical vines, and get him out of there. Like, and he's like, okay. And it's like, but he in that that again that makes him really dangerous. That his words can can convince people to do things that can convince people to like run into run in a fire. It's like he's basically telling more telling regular human regular human soldiers to go fight against the Fae and other other mystical beings. Like, like, don't be afraid of them. Without ever picking up a sword, like, he's not the one getting his hands dirty. Right, exactly. He's just saying, go go do that. Go handle that. Make that happen. And they're just doing it. Like, no hesitation, no question. It's infinitely more dangerous than anyone else in this. Even though though Weeping Monk is like, I mean, the Weeping Monk does it, but it's like, now we're suspected that he's fake. So he's not really, he's not really fighting on an uneven field like the rest of them are. He's like, I mean, if he if he's Faye, he's basically fighting on an even platform, even more so in his favor because he's probably been trained in advanced fighting skills that whoever he's fighting doesn't have the skills to do. Mm-hmm. So it's like he that makes him dangerous, but but the fact that he's been, he was trained by Cardin makes Cardin even more dangerous than him. Yeah, and it's like and you have to kind of think that that Cardin is just like he has a. Of, like hidden agenda somewhere in there that he's just like having people blindly go and fight people fight other otherworldly beings that have more that are powered and it's like take them down kill them do whatever do that and that's what we, that's what you need to do yeah he's basically he's father Cardin is saying kill all the fae so right. that also makes me wonder if the gray monk is indeed fae how is it that he came to be in the service of Father Cardin, you know, if if he is a Fae, if he is Fae, there's a story there. Yeah, you know. And and to Maybe. piggyback, to piggyback on what Michael said, that Cardin is very dangerous, and like most um, 
like most of the, the people, people that are doing what he's doing, they tend to appeal to people who already have issues. Mm -hmm. And we know this from the monk that made the Dennis Pulver tooth out, is that most of these monks seem to be sadists. Like, they just really want to hurt people to hurt people. They could care less that they're fake. You know, I get to kill people, I get to beat them up and burn them on the cross, <laughs> down for that. But you know, I've noticed like that in... I've noticed that in a lot of, like, a lot of these tales that we have from that time, when it comes to the quote-unquote religious people, they are the ones that are the most cruel. Mm -hmm. Like, and they're yeah. doing it in the name of God, yeah, which like makes have, it even more scary. You have Father Cardin up here, who he has his agenda, he has what he wants to do, but it's attracting the worst kind of people for this type of thing. Yeah. You know, like, they just can't go in and kill people. They just have to go in and crucify him and hang him up and burn him and watch other people torture people. Like, there was a reason I asked Dennis to pull her teeth. And he smiled when, when he did it because he enjoyed seeing her in pain. Yeah. And then I think that scene was intentional to show us that these paladins aren't necessarily doing God's work, not most of them. You know, even though Father Hardin thinks he is. I never know. I would have been caught. Because you're not pulling my tooth up, ain't nothing wrong with it. No. Like, <laughs> hey, I mean, it's me. It's me. I'm here. I'm good. I'm nah, here. you know what? Uh, <laughs> if, it, if it comes to taking a tooth out and death, you know what? Take the tooth out. It's all the way in the back. I probably don't need it anyway. No. Well, the dentist didn't really think on his feet. Like, there are several things he could have said, like, you know, instead of immediately reaching for your tools, be like, yeah, I need to clean my tools or. You know, I ran out of anesthetic. In those times, they in those times. I'm just no back in medieval times. I, I, I don't have any. I don't have any whiskey to give no her. Disinfected no disinfected, nothing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he could he could have been like, okay, I'll take it out. There's gonna be a lot of blood splatters. Y'all probably need to move back like five paces. Is, is she gonna be the new Huey? Well, yeah, two episodes in and two episodes that she's had blood on her, so yeah, yeah. maybe so. Yeah. Um, my my other takeaway is I'm I'm really impressed with how quickly the show recovered from the pilot episode. It's it's especially they didn't have the money to go back and, and redo a pop do the pilot because mm -hmm. that happens a lot of times too. Yeah. Um, shows will film on pilot, they'll get picked up, and then they'll go back and redo the first episode. Mm -hmm. And they didn't do it this time, and I'm kind of glad they did because it it shows you how different things can be mm -hmm. when they have time and they plan it out and they work on it. And and I was I'm I'm impressed with it, and now I'm really interested in the show. Yeah. Okay. Yay. Huzzah. Right. You know, even, even though, even though I, was, I was looking forward to like antagonistic stuff, but it's okay. I'm glad you like the show. Dude, we're still only two episodes in. We're only two episodes in. Believe me, we have plenty of time for antagonistic <laughs> stuff. And like I said, don't give me Knights of the Round Table and being picked up on this quest. Don't give that to me. I don't want that. <laughs> and if I get that, if the group. I'm gonna I'm gonna rip this show apart if the gray knight is Lance, the gray monk is Lancelot. I'm, I'm not gonna like that. I'm just uh, not. We'll see though. We'll see. 
We'll see. Um, my only last thought is I want more squirrel. I love that kid. I love that kid. I want more of him in the episodes to come. I'm actually going to go back here and write down all of his insults just so I can use some more people. Because, I mean, that was, that was some clever stuff he was saying. I was like, man, I just never would have thought to say this, that. And he's like giving him all the business. All like, of it. Like, yeah. Damn. I love that little kid. But it's like, you know, I mean, kid has heart. And it's like, I mean, but then it's like in a lot of in a lot of shows, there's always the, there's always the young one, young kid who has like who has heart beyond his years, who's always trying to, who's always there, always gonna fight somebody, who always is like, I want to fight, let me have it, I want to go, and they're like, no, you're too young, going over there. But he ends up ends up being the being the kid that is like is crucial to it. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be interesting to see how he develops. And I also like the fact that you know. You know, we see that Nimue has been shunned by pretty much everyone else in her village except for Pim. And to know that this little kid also is her friend and kind of looks up to her, you know, that's kind of nice too. You know, she's not so alone as, as we thought. You know. But, all right, well, that's it for our show. You can find us at fandomhybrid.com. We are also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can also find us on most podcast streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you join the conversation next time. <laughs>